Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. As we enter the holiday season, I imagine that you are looking forward to a season full of friends, family, and celebrations. But I also know this time of year can be full of stress with traveling and hunting for the perfect gift for your loved ones. And that's why I'm so excited to bring you a special offer that goes beyond the typical gift-giving frenzy. This year, give the gift of relational self-awareness. From now until December 20th, all of my online offerings are 20% off when you give them to a loved one. You can take this opportunity to share my Hallmark course, Intimate Relationships 101, which focuses on building the strongest foundation for a thriving intimate relationship, relational self-awareness. This could be the perfect gift for the young adult in your life who's just beginning their journey with dating and partnership. This offer also includes 20% off my e-course, Can I Trust You Again? Rebuilding After Betrayal or Deceit. This e-course could serve as a gentle gift to a friend who's struggling in the aftermath of betrayal and deceit. Finally, the Reimagining Love workbook serves as a companion to this podcast. So this workbook would be a great gift for another Reimagining Love listener in your life. Visit dralexandrasolomon.com slash gift guide 2023 to explore these offerings. Alongside the sale, you'll also find suggestions for how to give these gifts in the most empathic and compassionate way. With your purchase of a course or the workbook, you'll receive a gift card to share with your loved one at the time that you choose. Visit dralexandrasolomon.com slash gift guide 2023. You can also find that link in the episode's show notes. This offer of 20% off my online offerings is only valid from now until December 20th. So I hope you take advantage of this unique chance to share the gift of relational self-awareness as you and your loved ones move into a new year. Happy learning and loving. Welcome back. I'm so glad to be with you today for one of our solo episodes. Today's solo episode is geared toward the newly single. 
whether you just got out of a brief situationship or a long-term serious relationship. You know, every single breakup is unique. Factors like the duration of the relationship, the reason for the ending, the relationship milestones that the couple moved through together, the ages and gender identities of the partners, the type and amount of community support that each member of the couple is receiving, each partner's behavior around the ending, and so many other attributes all come together to create the contours of your unique breakup story. And these factors don't always have the same impact across breakups. A breakup that follows a brief and intense love affair that lasted just a few months could feel more painful and excruciating than a years-long relationship that has been atrophying for quite some time. And a breakup that was initiated by you versus the other person is going to feel different. If you are the one who initiated the breakup, you've likely had time to do some amount of emotional processing already and perhaps have even begun to imagine what your life will look like as a single person once again. Versus if the relationship breakup was a surprise, you will be dropped off in your new life in an earlier stage of the grieving process. So there's no mathematical equation for how much a breakup is going to hurt or how long it's going to take for that pain to become a pang. And there certainly are no hard and fast rules about how to move on. In this episode, I'm offering what I hope will be some guiding principles for anyone who's in the aftermath of a breakup. But as always here on Reimagining Love, I want you to take with you what resonates in this episode, even if it's just one or two of the points that I make, and then go ahead and feel free to leave the rest behind for somebody else. There is no quick roadmap to healing after the end of a relationship, but there are some reframes and some ideas that I can provide to you based on my decades of working with clients that I think have proven really useful for them and I hope will support you in your healing. Before we get into that, I want to make sure in this episode that I'm clear that I'm focusing on that period of time right after the breakup. So we're not going to talk today about how to know if you're ready to date again or get yourself back out there, but stay tuned because I'm going to be covering that topic of dating again after a breakup or a divorce in an episode in the new year. The way I see it, this newly single period is a really potent time for personal development and reflection, as painful as it may be. That seems kind of paradoxical, right? Something can be both painful and fruitful. I was doing an Instagram Live with my friend Mark Groves in honor of the launch of the Love Every Day book, and he told me that he had just heard this great quote from an unknown source. The quote was, never let a good breakup go to waste. And it's a twist on a quote from Winston Churchill that said, never let a good crisis go to waste. So this notion that the days and the weeks following a breakup are fertile is sort of a subversive idea, isn't it? We typically associate endings with pain and we associate painful experiences as something to be survived rather than something to be worked by, rather than something to grow from. And for sure, For sure, for sure, there's an element of surviving, that feeling of putting one foot in front of the other and just getting through the next hour and the next hour and the next hour. But I'm also going to invite and challenge you to stay open to any additional elements that may arise for you in this chapter. The surprise of a friend who showed up for you in just the right way. 
the pride of knowing that you're taking good care of yourself during a really difficult time, the comfort of turning toward people who have known you for a long time, the excitement of exploring a new possibility in this new chapter. So I'm going to invite you to lean in even just a little bit, even just for a few minutes a day to this solo time rather than approaching it as a problem to be fixed. I'm going to invite and challenge you to see what shifts when you accept this as a chapter in its own right rather than something to be gotten through. For people who typically find themselves In committed relationships or people who are coming out of a years-long relationship, this feeling of being newly single is likely to feel really disorienting and really uncomfortable, even if you're the one who initiated the breakup or even if you're really clear this is the next right move for your life. Okay, fine. So let it be uncomfortable. Witness yourself being present even as you are uncomfortable. Notice the even very, very subtle shifts that your feelings experience, the shifts in your emotions day by day. What if this era is its own interesting story rather than just the passageway to your next relationship? To start, I want to offer you a pretty significant reframe as you begin to process and move forward after a breakup. The shift is this. I am experiencing a huge loss becomes I am experiencing a huge change. Hmm. I am experiencing a huge loss becomes I am experiencing a huge change. Let that settle inside of you a little bit. How does it feel inside of your body? Perhaps you are noticing some resistance. You're thinking, what do you mean, Alexandra? I I did actually experience a huge loss. And I don't disagree with that. There is a huge space that this person has left. So yes, of course you did. I don't want to undermine. I would never, ever undermine the pain and the grief of a breakup. I want to invite you to kind of just place that word loss under a bigger umbrella, which is change, right? The big umbrella is change. And one of the elements under that big umbrella of change is loss. But I want to point out that along with loss, there are some other words that we might put under that big umbrella of change. Words like growth, space, shift, insight, freedom, mystery, reflection, reconnection, right? These other words might not feel apparent to you or they might not feel particularly resonant to you at first, and that's okay. But I hope that by sharing them with you, you'll be primed a little bit to notice them if and when they creep on in to your experience. If you were the one who initiated the breakup, these words might already feel accessible to you. One of these words may have even been the impetus for you considering ending the relationship. If you're the one who's been broken up with, you may only in this moment feel loss and grief and disorientation right now. And again, that makes sense. Give it some time and just keep a lookout for moments when the light creeps in and you have a glimmer of that freedom or that curiosity or that openness. 
I'm going to take some time in this episode to talk you through five strategies that you can use to guide those early days and weeks of your post-breakup chapter. But before we do that, I want to invite you (laughs) to nerd out with me for just a little moment here on an idea that comes from the field of psychology called self-concept clarity. Okay, so first things first. What research over the last 10 years or so has found is that romantic relationships are, quote, an especially fertile ground for encouraging self-change, end quote. And that is from Dr. Lydia Emery and Dr. Wendy Gartner, both who are on faculty at Northwestern University. Okay, so in romantic relationships, we are encouraged The the process of being in a romantic relationship encourages self-change. So there's change that happens in a romantic relationship at the level of self. Okay, fine. Hold that. So then weave in the idea of self-concept clarity. Self-concept clarity is a term that was coined by psychologist Dr. Jennifer Campbell. And self-concept clarity refers to the extent to which a person has a clear and coherent sense of self. It includes things like personality traits, personal goals, individual preferences, and social roles. Hmm. All right. So the psychoanalyst Ethel Person described that falling in love creates a flux in the personality. I've always loved that phrasing. Falling in love creates a flux in the personality. Okay, self-concept clarity. Research has found that your self-concept expands when you become part of a couple. Your interests shift. Your sense of who you are in the world changes when you enter a romantic relationship. I have this vivid memory, like way, way back from my adolescence when I had my first boyfriend. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I am someone's girlfriend. It was a a really visceral, like a very felt sense that I was somehow different in the world as I occupied this different role. Not no longer myself, but just that it was, I could feel, I remember that feeling of a shift in me as I was now part of, you know, a couple. It was a new role. It was a new way of being. Okay, fine. I think that's something that really resonates I think sometimes it's something that we resist because somehow we equate self-change with self-loss or self-abandonment. So I like this idea that it is an expansion of self. Okay, so so if change happens at the level of self-identity and self-understanding when we enter a relationship, it makes sense then that in the wake of the relationship ending, your sense of self shifts again. Your self-concept clarity becomes a little bit fuzzy. The shift, the exit from a relationship is disorienting. Breakups are notoriously emotionally distressing. There are feelings of panic, feelings of despair, feelings of shame, and intense sadness. And all of that makes sense. And researchers who study self-concept clarity argue that the emotional distress experienced in a breakup is not only about the loss of this person, it is also emotional distress about the loss of a clear sense of self, the loss of a clear sense of who you are. This feeling of disorientation, this drop 
in self-concept clarity that is so disorienting and so distressing is backed up in the research. So Mavis Hetherington, who was one of the original child psychologists, who was one of the first to research the impact of divorce on children. And she found in her research that people who are going through a divorce described what she called a, quote, not me feeling. They didn't feel like themselves. They experienced a loss of self-concept clarity. And those of you who are longtime listeners to Reimagining Love may have heard me cite research from 2010 done by my colleague at Northwestern, Dr. Eli Finkel, and his colleagues, Dr. Erica Slaughter and Dr. Wendy Gardner. He studied a sample of people across time. So it was a longitudinal study, a prospective study. And one of the measures that he was giving the participants at intervals throughout the study was a measure of this self-concept clarity, the degree to which you feel clear about who you are as a person. Well, he knew, he predicted that throughout the course of the research, some of the people in his study were going to go through a breakup. And what he found is that the people who are going through a breakup experienced a precipitous drop in their self-concept clarity scores. In the wake of a breakup, they felt less clear about who they were as people. And again, this feeling of like, I don't, I don't quite know who I am. What do I like? What am I about? Who am I for? This feeling created and fueled emotional distress. And I think, I suspect the emotional distress is one part just the ickiness of feeling like you don't know who you are. And a second part, a feeling of shame about the fact that you don't know who you are. It's that Buddhist concept that I referenced in other episodes of the show that we call first arrow and second arrow. The first arrow is the distress. It is distressing to feel disoriented, to feel not me. The second arrow is the layer of meaning or interpretation or self-judgment that we layer on top of that disoriented feeling. First arrow, second arrow. So Eli Finkel and his colleagues in a write-up about this research said the following, quote, not only may couples come to complete each other's sentences, they may actually come to complete each other's selves. When the relationship ends, individuals experience not only pain over the loss of the partner, but also changes in their selves. Okay, so let's move now into five practical ideas about how you can structure your life to best serve your healing process in the wake of a breakup. We're going to talk now about one, the power of nature, two, the power of movement, three, the power of nutrition, four, the power of community, and five, the power of discovery. As I move through these ideas, you'll hear that some of them are about creating stability on the inside of yourself, and some of these are about reaching for connection outside of yourself. And I think there's a flow or a dynamic between these two sort of contrasting elements of your journey. The more stable you can feel on the inside, the easier it's going to be to access the motivation, the creativity, and the curiosity that you're going to need to reach for connection, to kind of fill your cup. But the arrow goes the other way too. The more you are actively and proactively able to reach for support and for new experiences, the more stable you're going to feel on the inside. So there's that kind of back and forth of what's happening inside of you and what's happening around you. And I think each of them is going to inform and support the other. 
Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Krafchick and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so five strategies. And I would like you to think about these as sort of like an artist's palette. Because grief can compromise creativity, I hope that by offering you a palette, you're going to feel like you are choosing rather than creating. I think it's much easier to choose, like multiple choice is easier than short answer, right? So I'm giving you something that you can choose from or pull from or pick from rather than asking you to kind of ideate and start with a blank slate. And you get to bring these elements together in ways that feel good for you. And given that attendant sense of loss of self-concept clarity that I was just talking about, I also feel hopeful that these five strategies can also help you feel more like you. So approach these in the trial and error kind of way, no right, no wrong, just experimentation, just engaging in a process, releasing the outcome. Okay, number one, the power of nature. Nature is a healer. And that's true even if you don't identify as an outdoorsy person. Time in nature has immense and proven health benefits. There was a meta-analytic review that was published in the Journal of Global Health in 2022. A meta-analysis is when a team of researchers comes together and they look at the aggregate findings. They look across many, many, many previous studies and they pull together a summary of what all this different, all these disparate studies have found. So this particular team looked at 39 studies from around the world that were exploring the impact that time in nature has on our health. They looked at what happens, This I love this part of the study, they looked at what happens when we are in green spaces and blue spaces. So green spaces are parks and forests and gardens and farms and meadows, etc. And blue spaces are seas and rivers and lakes and wetlands and beaches. I love that they categorize things as green spaces and blue spaces. I don't really, I can't even tell you which one I like more. I love them both. (laughs) And then they looked at what are called NBIs, nature-based interventions, which, so I think it was, you know, some of the studies they looked at were kind of more formal nature interventions. I'm not proposing to you that you get involved in anything formal, though I'm sure it would be lovely as well. But these nature-based interventions kind of fell into six categories, educational interventions, physical activities, wilderness therapies, leisure activities, 
gardening, and then getting involved in changes to an environment like greening a rooftop or greening a parking lot or adding a feature to a green space like a bench. So all different ways. They looked at all different ways that people get involved with the natural environment. And across these 39 studies, the findings in 92% of the studies demonstrated consistent, solid improvements across any health outcome when individuals were engaged with natural outdoor environments. Mental health outcomes improved across 98% of the studies. Physical health outcomes showed improvements in 83% of the studies. And cognitive health outcomes showed improvements in 75% of the studies. We need nature. Bottom line, we need nature. This is true when we're in a chapter of ease, and it's even more so true when we're in a chapter of challenge. My dad passed away in September 2012. And on one of those first dizzying mornings of grief, I remember heading down to Lake Michigan, which is like less than a mile from our house. And I went all by myself. And I remember on the way down to the beach, I remember this feeling like I was on autopilot and not just like grief autopilot, but like I just, I knew, it was like I knew in my body that I had to get to the water. It was like my body knew what to do. And my job was just to listen and get my body there. And I remember getting into the water. I remember swimming and diving and splashing and crying and floating. And I remember the feeling so well. My grief felt so big and so foreign and so heavy. And when I got into that body of water that is so much bigger than me, that is so much older than me, I remember how grounded I felt. I remember that I felt really held and contextualized. I felt part of you know, like connected to something bigger than me. And that was a very, very comforting feeling. So power of nature. I want to read to you something that I think really captures this idea of being anchored during a difficult moment by that sense of connection to something bigger and older and wiser than you feel in this moment. And it's something that was written by Sarah Blondin, whose work I did not know until just a few days ago. And I'm so glad now that I know about her presence in the world. So Sarah Blondin wrote this that I found on her Instagram feed. She wrote, hardship will momentarily eclipse and upset your entire life, release you from its grasp and plop you in a tawny pool of light under the branching arms of a plum tree trembling in awe at everything you took for granted. The swallow pumps its wings three times and then glides. It knows how to carry itself and then be held. The old and dying grasses bend their bodies like an arc of ribs to protect the new sprouts of life over winter, almost imperceptibly. Everything ending or dying assists growth and birth like a web of warm arms. The magnanimous rhythm of things is present everywhere. It may look and feel very hard inside of us, but life is in continuous flow, and you need only adjust your eyes to find where the water trickles out from around the impenetrable stone. Look closely, dear ones. Paying attention feeds our bodies better than bread. Mm, I love that so much. Okay, 
Number two, the power of movement. Related to the power of nature, movement is essential medicine during those early days post-breakup. And I am very definitely not talking about the so-called revenge body or the breakup body, which seems to be something about proving something to your ex or proving something to other people. Movement for me, from where I'm coming from, what I'm suggesting to you, movement is about medicine. It's about movement for the sake of your healing, as a vehicle for your healing. Bessel van der Kolk's incredible smash bestseller book is called The Body Keeps the Score. Simple, elegant. The Body Keeps the Score. Painful experiences are embodied experiences. So you move your body to move your emotions. Think about those four stress responses that we've talked about in other episodes. Fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, right? Those are the four places that your nervous system goes under overwhelming stress. Fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And movements that you choose, movements that you are present with, are the antidote to those feelings of reactivity, right? So fight, flight, freeze, fawn, those are automatic nervous system responses. And movement can sort of like fit with those patterns, but in a chosen way, in a responsive way rather than a reactive way. For example, lifting heavy weights may for you be a way to channel that fight response that you may have in the days and weeks following a breakup, right? The anger, the rage, the injustice, that desire to have your story be told, to have your ex understand you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. To feel your power. So lifting heavy weights may feel really medicinal, really supportive to you as a way of kind of working with that strong urge to fight. Running might be a way for you to move with that feeling that you have of wanting to flee or escape or get away or run and hide. So choosing to run, choosing your direction, choosing your pace, choosing your music and your setting and your context may be really soothing to that part of you that just wants to flee. And any and all movements are going to counter that freeze response, right? Because when you feel frozen as if there's nothing you can do, you're stuck, you're trapped, movement counters that. Movement allows you to feel masterful in your space, knowing that you have agency, knowing that you have choice. And whatever movements you choose that help you feel powerful and present can also counter that stress response of fawning. Fawning is accommodating in a way that is self-sacrificing. So for you to choose when and how you move your body is going to help you center yourself back into your desires, your choices, your sovereignty, really. Okay, number three, the power of nutrition. I'm just going to do this one very briefly and just (laughs) like a good mama would just say that feeding yourself well during this time is essential as you did the hard work of grieving. Grieving is embodied, loss is embodied. So nourishing your body is essential. Again, this is not about weight loss. It's not about punishment. It's certainly not about needing to look any certain way. And it's also, by the way, not to shame you for any and all late night Ben and Jerry's that you may be reaching for sometimes. It's just a reminder that like nature and movement, food is medicine as well. And food, by the way, there's this like kind of sneaky, like extra layer, which is that food ends up being quite central in most intimate relationships. 
dates oftentimes revolve around food. And as people's lives become entwined, couples often shop together, cook together, eat together, or plan for their meals together. And so that shift, if if part of the shift for you is a shift towards cooking for one or cooking for yourself for maybe the first time or one of the first times, but that shift towards cooking alone, cooking solo might feel disorienting for you. So what are the ways that food might become another arena of self-care for you? Are there recipes you've wanted to try or restaurants you've wanted to try, perhaps ones that you shied away from because your ex wouldn't have enjoyed them? So see how stretching yourself a little bit in this way might be nourishing, both literally and psychologically. Number four, the power of community. You know that I'm going to talk about relationships that matter during this time. So of course, I would like you to do an inventory and reflect on who is in your corner and having a therapist who can support you through a breakup is absolutely huge. So if you aren't already in therapy, this could perhaps be a great time and a wonderful reason for you to begin that journey. And I think a lot of people find their way into a therapist's office for the first time after a major life change. And a therapist can assist you as you build your roadmap for the future, as you walk yourself through the big emotions you're experiencing, and a therapist can help you get unstuck. Maybe you're saying to yourself, it's so pathetic. Breakups happen. Breakups are part of life. I shouldn't be so wrecked by this breakup that I need a therapist. If you are saying that to yourself, I would like you to know that I have known so many people, friends and clients and students and family members over the years who began therapy in the wake of a breakup. And I spend lots of time educating therapists on how to work with clients who are going through a breakup. It's a wonderful time to start therapy. The goal, by the way, of a therapy relationship that you engage in post-breakup, the goal is for you and your therapist to understand your process, all of the uniquely you reasons that you're struggling in the ways that you are, right? We sort of have been saying breakups are hard. Okay, that's true. And a breakup for you is going to be particularly hard because it awakens, you know, this particular family of origin wound around abandonment, or it's going to create a fear in you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to activate feelings of worthlessness in you. There's going to be particular reasons that this breakup intersects with the unique psychology of you. And so your job with your individual therapist in this moment is to understand that intersection of, yes, breakups are difficult, and let's understand how and why this breakup is difficult for me, and then kind of make a treatment plan, a self-care plan from there. So this is about your process. You may very well and very understandably want your therapist to diagnose your ex or trash your ex because you imagine that would feel really validating. And it might actually feel validating, but your therapist actually cannot diagnose your ex because your therapist presumably does not know your ex. And the more, by the way, your therapist lets the two of you focus on what a schmuck your ex is, the less the two of you are going to be focusing on you, how you need to heal, how you deserve to grow from this breakup. And believe me, 
(laughs) Your therapist may very well have her own strong feelings about your ex, but it's your therapist's job to temper herself. She can validate your experiences without throwing your ex under the bus. And that's exactly what I want your therapist to do. (laughs) I think one of the reasons that therapy is essential here is that that therapeutic space is contained. I also encourage you, obviously, to call in friends and family members to support you. I think letting them know that you're having a difficult time makes sense. Asking friends and family for help makes sense. Asking them for a gentle listening ear when you need it, that all makes sense. But talking with your people is different from talking with your therapist. Your therapist has specialized training in how to listen in a particular way and how to hold loaded stories with strong emotions. Your friends and family are more reactive, A, because they have not had this training, and B, because they don't have a professional obligation to be contained, to be judicious, and C, they, you belong to them, right? You're, you're theirs. Like they've got, you know, they've got skin in the game here and they've got very understandable biases toward you. So while it may feel really good to have your friend play armchair psychologist, diagnosing your ex, expressing outrage over how all this played out, I want to just highlight a couple of risks of being in conversation with friends and family who are going to be outraged and making sweeping statements about your ex, about what went down. Number one risk is that if your loved one is feeling all of the outrage, there may not be enough space left for your feelings. So I think that's one of the risks with family and friends is their protection kind of bleeds into outrage and that kind of can fill up the whole space and you lose track of what you're feeling. Like there's not that kind of holding space for you to understand what's happening on the inside. You're kind of watching other people have strong reactions and in the wake of that, you may lose sight of your own emotional process. And number two, if your loved one is feeling all of the outrage, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I knew this would happen. You're so much better off, et cetera, et cetera. This might in fact amplify or create feelings of shame inside of you about your sadness, right? If they're feeling outraged, you're better off without them. You don't need them. It's going to kind of confront or challenge your own feelings of sadness right? Hmm. They're saying I'm better off, but I am feeling really sad. And so now in addition to feeling sad, I'm feeling ashamed because it seems like from their perspective, I shouldn't be sad. So that's another risk of, you know, friends and family who are having a hard time kind of containing and managing their own outrage. And then risk number three, of course, is if you and your ex end up deciding to get back together, you don't have one of those memory erase sticks that the guys had in the Men in Black movie where you can just kind of like erase that part where you told, you know, your siblings about everything that happened. Of course, you can ask your siblings, ask your loved ones to please put aside the messiness of the breakup. And you can ask the people who love you to trust your journey. And I certainly hope your loved ones will do that. But it can make that path to getting back together 
more fraught. So another reason why it may make sense to bring especially the hard stuff, the gnarly stuff, the messy stuff to a therapist. So it's just kind of contained in that space. Not to hide things from friends and family, but just to be mindful of what you can expect and not expect from some people in your life. To be discerning. It's okay to be selective. It's okay to be discerning. In fact, I think you need to be. Not everyone can handle all the details and that's okay. See if you can be grateful for what people are able to offer you rather than being frustrated by the fact that they can't listen without getting reactive. Okay, last one. Number five, the power of discovery. I want to shine a light on the richness of this time for you, even if this time is a more solitary one. You know, being alone and being lonely are not the same thing. In fact, Some of the most poignant and painful loneliness is the loneliness we experience inside of a relationship when we're disconnected from the person that we love. So you are in a solitary chapter, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you necessarily are in a lonely chapter. So coming back to that phrase I talked about in the beginning, this is a huge change. In reminding ourselves of that phrase, we remind ourselves that this is a major shift And when something shifts, a new way of being becomes possible, right? In the space of the shift, what might emerge? And that's even the case if we did not want this to happen. A great example of this is in our relationships with our friends and our family. It's no secret that intimate relationships require a lot of time, a lot of attention, a lot of emotional energy. And often when one person becomes the center of our emotional world, Other relationships might have gotten a bit deprioritized, and that's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but it's a change. And now that the ground has shifted again, I wonder if you might ask yourself, who are the people that you are interested in reconnecting with, rediscovering, increasing the time that you spend with them? Is there a friend or a relative, perhaps someone who lives far away that you've always wanted to visit, but Perhaps weekends with your significant other were, you know, precious time. And so you really didn't have the time or the priority to make that trip. Well, when this shift happens, the opportunity may be there for you to take that trip now. What would it feel like to lean into that possibility to plan even just a small adventure for yourself that maybe wouldn't have happened when you were in the relationship? And in even smaller ways, there might be additions that you can make to your routine that expand your life in ways that may not have been possible before. Maybe your partner disliked wine, but you've always wanted to take a wine tasting class. Maybe you love blasting heavy metal music, and now that you have the apartment all to yourself, you can do that once again. Whatever that small thing might be, I just invite you to lean into it a little bit. And it's not like compensatory. It's not revenge. It's just you noticing how do you want to fill that space? How do you, what what is possible now in the face of this change? You can ask around, see if any friends have started a cool new sports team, a workout class, a creative hobby, and consider joining in on the fun. You don't have to create an entirely new slate of activities. We all have busy lives, but even just exploring one small thing might be the thing that helps you begin to unlock feelings of excitement, newness, and possibility post-breakup, whether it's a solo activity or a social activity. 
So bringing us to a close here, I want to leave you with some quotes that I think are powerful and really beautiful reminders of the opportunities that lie ahead for you in this new season of life. Okay, this quote, which I don't even know, this is from an unknown source. I'm not really single, I'm dating myself. I love that idea of dating yourself. What I love about this idea is that being single is not necessarily an absence. This time is truly an opportunity to learn something new about yourself and an opportunity to reflect on what you want in your future, both inside and outside of your intimate relationships. Second quote is from Warsan Shire, and it goes like this, quote, my alone feels so good. I'll only have you if you're sweeter than my solitude, end quote. Using this time to discover what you like about solitude, it's a powerful tool for your future self. Falling in love is certainly a beautiful and fulfilling experience, but we all know that being in a relationship comes with sacrifices. It comes with challenges. So understanding yourself better, finding the joys and being your own best friend, that's going to aid you in all aspects of life and help you feel like you're able to make more intentional choices about relationships in the future. And finally, I will leave you with a beautiful quote from Bell Hooks, quote, One of the best guides to be self-loving is to give ourselves the love we are often dreaming about receiving from others. There was a time when I felt lousy about my over 40 body, saw myself as too fat, too this or too that. Yet I fantasized about finding a lover who would give me the gift of being loved as I am. It is silly, isn't it? that I would dream of someone else offering to me the acceptance and affirmation I was withholding from myself. This was the moment when the maxim, you can never love anybody if you are unable to love yourself, made clear sense. And I add, do not ever expect to receive the love from someone else that you do not give yourself, end quote. Oof. Yeah. So not only are you worthy of love from others, you are certainly and surely worthy of having immense love for yourself. And right now, being gentle with yourself, being warm to yourself, and giving to yourself in ways that feel nurturing is a great place to start. I hope that I was able to give you some comfort and some guidance during this difficult time. As you navigate this new era, I hope that you can keep in mind the ideas we've covered here, the process of establishing stability, of looking and keeping your eye out for moments of hope, and seeking ways of filling your cup. And remember that there are opportunities in this era, opportunities to connect with yourself, to connect with others. So I thank you for being here with me today. And until next time, be well. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com where you'll find my blog, as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.